0: We're going to open our Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians. We have been looking in recent weeks at the the ministry of God's Spirit in the book of Acts, the work of Christ, and so we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 2. In the early months of the year, February and March, we had intended to to finish chapter two of Colossians, but we switched up the, the sermon series as we shifted to online worship um, and so we're gonna come back and finish Colossians 3 and 4, but because we skipped the last sermon in Colossians 2, what this week does is kind of bridge us between these two chapters. So so let me remind you, if, if it's, you know, your memory, I mean, six months ago feels like six years ago, so I don't expect that you remember where we were. Or maybe you're joining us for the first time today, and so you've connected with us as we start this new series. The book of Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, the first great missionary of the church, a man who was taking good news to people who hadn't yet heard it. And in the book, he begins with this glorious picture of Jesus as the the creator, the sustainer of everything, the one who gave his life for us. And yet, there is a danger that we will slip into false teaching, that we will turn away from truth. And so there's a warning here in Colossians 2 about letting others turn us from the gospel message which Jesus has given. And so as I read, I'm going to read in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. But, but we, we need to, to, to set the context. And so look at Colossians 2, verse 8. Paul is giving them the warning, see to it, this is Colossians 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. See, there are essentially only two ways to live. Either you can throw yourself upon Christ and live according to his commands, or you can follow any other teaching, which ends up being false. And so that's the, the stage. There is There there is a danger of following after false teachers. And so listen as I read Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belonged to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let me pray as we've heard God's word read that God's spirit would apply his truth into our lives. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your grace shown to us in Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we thank you for the the bold witness of your word, pointing us to the grace given in the death of Christ and in the clear warning of turning away from this truth. Lord, for those that come today feeling burdened by the, the worries and despair of life, I pray that they would find in Christ the reality of hope, Lord, for those that that come with questions and with doubts, I pray that in in hearing your word, your spirit would show us not not merely a a good idea, but the the truth on which our lives are based, that you are the God who loves us and you sent Jesus to rescue us from sin. So Father, we come this morning praying in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who's been raised from the dead and reigns as King in heaven. Amen. Amen. It's easy to dismiss people who hold wild conspiracy theories. At least it's easy to dismiss them and still until their beliefs start impacting our lives. I mean, generally, we feel confident rejecting conspiracies just on the face of how foolish they seem, how absurd the claims feel to us. And yet, dismissing someone's beliefs on the basis of what seems obvious to us might be too simplistic. Many of the things we believe, many of the things we rightly believe, are based on facts that were not always immediately obvious. Take this little pill, and it will kill invisible pathogens living in your body. Turn this knob, and this box will start playing music, because it can detect invisible waves traveling through the air. Now, those are easy and obvious, and with the scientific explanation, with a medical explanation, we would come to believe the truth of those kinds of claims. But you can imagine that initially, or even just step back a century, that those would be claims that would be hard to understand. Step back a century and a half, and people would look at you like you're a science fiction writer. Because it's not how extreme an idea is that determines whether or not it should be believed. It should be the truth of the idea. Paul is warning about the dangers of false teachers showing up in Colossae. They show up with some pretty bold claims. But remember, what what Paul is doing here is not saying, you know what, what they're saying is just unbelievable. Like, it's too radical of an idea, so, so... Set it aside. No, actually, he, he does something even more profound. He says, yes, we, we, we need to step aside from these, these false teachers, but because I want to show you something even more radical. I want to show you something even more profound. I want you to hear the story, the true history of the Son of God, the creator of everything, stepping down into your place and dying on the cross. Now, today, that might still sound absurd to you. And, and, and unless you've grown up in church where you've heard that again and again, and maybe, maybe even those of us that have spent a long time in church, we, we forget how remarkable those kinds of claims are. See, it's, it's, not, it's not how big the claim is that determines whether or not we should accept it. We actually have to look at the truth behind the claim. And so Paul is challenging false teachers here in Colossians by pointing us to truth. A truth even more remarkable, a truth even more miraculous than any of the wild claims of the false teachers. We we see here the the danger of false teaching. This is a a warning that comes to us not only in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Colossae, it's a warning that comes throughout the New Testament. A warning that Jesus himself reminds us. It's a, it's a warning that's been in the Bible from the, from the very first time that God sent spokesmen, prophets and prophetesses, to speak on his behalf. He, he brings the warning, there will be some false prophets who arise. And so you have to discern the truth of what is given. You have to listen and accept the authority that comes when God speaks to us. And see, the central concern of this section is, is as we saw in verse 8 of chapter 2, the warning that there are hollow and deceptive philosophies. And not merely philosophies in the sense that, that, that some ancient Greek wrote them down and, and gathered a school. Not, not merely the kind of things you would, you would listen to in a, in a college introductory course. But, but really any view of the world that sets itself up against the gospel. And really any view of the world has to set itself up against the claims of God in the Bible because we've seen in Colossians that Jesus is the creator of all things. That in him everything holds together. And so by virtue of being in the world in which Jesus made, every claim we make either agrees with the truth of what Jesus has told us or is a rejection of that truth. And so Paul is warning them that, that there are these dangerous philosophies coming. And so let's, let's look at some of the claims here that are, that are made by the false teachers. Look with me at verse 16 of Colossians 2. Paul offers warning do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Here we have the negative commands that you need to abstain. The false teachers are coming in and saying, You must abstain from certain foods, from certain drinks. You can you can set yourself up as one who is holy and righteous by the things that you eat. And this is a, a concern in the ancient world eat for genuine believers. It's a concern that that actually is rooted for the people of God in the Old Testament. God had given them commands about what they should eat and drink. For for people in the first century world that, that, that many of the much of the food that they would have access to in the markets had been offered to a God, to an idol. And so it's it's a genuine question. But but what the false teachers are saying is the way that you mark off truth is by what you do, what you eat or drink. And then there's the positive command, so you shouldn't eat or drink certain things, but then the positive command in verse 16 of the false teachers is that that there are certain festivals, certain new moon celebrations, certain Sabbaths that need to be observed. And again, remember, these false teachers are are rooting their claims in, in some expectations that God had given. In the Old Testament, there were commands. This kind of phrase, that there were new moon celebrations, that there are festivals, that God had given them a Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week on which to worship. They're, they're rooted in the, the truth of what God has given to us. Now, we can see the continuing false teaching if we look at verse 18. Again, the warning comes, Don't let anyone look down, don't let anyone disqualify you, because these are people that that are delighting here, in false humility, and in, look at verse 18, the worship of angels. Now, if you are a Christian, if you have, have any connection with the history of the church, then you would understand that in a worship service, a true worship service, we don't worship angels. But remember, every time an angel shows up in the Bible, what do people do? throw themselves down at the glory of this angelic being, this heavenly being, and attempt to worship the angel because the angel is reflecting something of the glory of God. And so, so the danger perhaps makes sense to us, that there is a supernatural being worthy of your worship. But see, remember, what, what Paul is saying is not that, that, you know, we can all just set that aside as foolish because we're, we're smart people. We know that you don't, you don't fall, fall prey to, to foolish claims of the supernatural. No, Paul is not saying that, that yes, you can set this aside because it's clearly false because it deals with the supernatural. No, remember what, what, what the Christian gospel is, is there is one who is above the angels because he made even the angels in heaven. And so the reason you don't worship an angel is because an angel like you is a, crea- a creature made by Jesus— and so he's the only one who deserves our worship. And then in verse 21, the, Paul, it, as, if, as if he's sarcastically summarizing the, the beliefs of these false teachers, he just throws out some of the slogans that they've given. Don't, don't handle, do not taste, do not touch. This assumption that, that if, they, if they follow certain ascetic practices, if they step away from the pleasures of this world, that we can make ourselves right with God. But it's not that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about the way we would The Bible actually has expectations on how we will worship, on how we will behave, on what it looks like to to truly follow after God. And so Paul doesn't tell them to set aside their false teachings because they're they're dealing in the wrong categories. He's saying, no, no, the, the false teachers have set their sights much too low. They're worshiping the things of this world. They're trying to make themselves right, but yet the gospel is much bigger, and grander than that. And so he's exposing for us and for the Colossians the failure of false teaching. Look again at verse 18. He says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility. He, he repeats that in verse 23, that, that false teaching leads to false humility. Because there's this sense that if if I am doing all of these things, and all of those other people aren't doing these things then I am better than all of those other people. The problem is the, the measuring stick by which you measure your greatness compared to others will radically impact whether you actually are in a better position than any of those people. See, some of you are, are clearly and obviously better than, than me at many things, and yet I look at them and say, I don't care. Like, I never wanted to be good at that. I don't even have any interest in that thing that you really matters to you, and so, so I, can just, I can just shrug it off. But the danger really is if I take something and say, oh, look at what I have done. This puts me at the front of the line in terms of my holiness, my goodness. And so I have this, this pride, which, which really is, is just a false humility. It's a pretending, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just humbling myself to, to do these things. But it's an empty and foolish uh, false humility because it leads... Clearly, to this prideful position where I would put myself in judgment of others. That's what the false teachers are doing. They're judging others. That's the warning that came to us in verse 16. Paul says to the church, to the Christians, Do not, look at verse 16, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival. See, this false humility is actually an arrogant pride that says, Oh, no, no, I'm better than you are. You are not really following this religious system the way that you should be. Paul again gives the warning, Do not, in verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in this false humility and in the worship of the angels disqualify you for the prize, determining who's in and who's out. And so we might think here that Paul is rejecting all judgment, that it, that it would be wrong for, for you to let anyone judge you at any time about anything. The, the, the belief that, you know, just go with what works for you. Don't let anyone tell you what to believe. And culturally, we we as Americans, we as Westerners, we as maybe it's just 21st century people, we have this open-minded tolerance of everyone's beliefs. Really, an assumption that all worldviews, all religious systems are basically the same and connect to the truth. And so we might think that that's what Paul's doing when he says, don't let anyone judge you, don't let anyone disqualify you. But notice, Paul is not saying there there is no place for command. There is no place for judgment. There is no place for determining right and wrong, because what is he doing? He's giving them direct commands. He's telling them, no, no, we actually have to measure between right and wrong. We have to make a determination. He's rejecting the false teachers. And so he's not saying, all worldview, don't let anyone judge you because everyone is equally right. He's saying, no, don't let somebody who has That which is false, judge you for holding on to the truth. Paul demands that we believe the truth. Because this false teaching here is is rooted not in authority that comes to us from God, it doesn't come to us from somebody who actually knows what's happening. False teaching is rooted in human authority. It's empty and deceptive because it's it's made up by the the traditions of men. Look look again with me. That's that's what we saw, the human tradition in verse 8. But look again with me at verse 22. Paul is saying the commands of verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says, these commands, these false teachings, verse 22, are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. See, we're— we're constantly looking for experts to tell us what to do, what to believe. And there are clearly times that you have to do that. When, when my mechanic tells me that there's something wrong on the inside of my car. I mean, I, I could take it to six or eight other mechanics, but I'm not going to understand anything that any of them tell me. I'm going to have to call my dad and say, Dad, let me re- repeat to you what I wrote down that the mechanic said. Does any of that make sense? And he says, yes. You got to get it fi- If that's what they're telling you is wrong, get it fixed. I mean, if I go to my doctor... I I shouldn't argue with him and just say, well, you know, I I read this article a few years ago, you know, in a a magazine, and so I'm pretty sure you're wrong about the the tests and the the diagnosis. Yes, of of course, we at times have to trust experts. But we need them to show us the truth. We we don't trust them merely because they stand up and, and shout the loudest and say, you must believe this. Because sometimes the the person who claims the authority most directly is, is the person who can't be trusted. Now, now I know some of you, some of you think that's, that's all a preacher is ever doing. He's just standing up, and they give him the microphone, and so he gets to shout at us and tell us what to believe. But remember, what I'm really doing here is not, not telling you something based on my authority, but based on God's authority. I, I want you to look back and see the truth here. If, if it's just good advice from Kevin, then take it or leave it, and probably just leave it. But if it's, if it's a command that comes to us from God, which is the authority that God's word comes to us with, then we have to believe the truth. We need a true authority. To answer the big questions, we need a way to discern between religious claims. And what Paul is offering the church is he's saying, the, the reason you can turn away from false teachers is because you've heard the true Teaching. The reason that we can know that 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 way of of making yourself right with God is is a lie. That if you just jump through these hoops and keep these commands, the the reason we can know that's a lie is because God has spoken to us. More than that, God sent his own son, the very image of God, to appear before us and give us truth. Because false teaching only leads only leads to an, an appearance of wisdom. That's what verse 23 says. Not actual wisdom. These false teachers, yes, sound-wise, they have a lot of things to say, but there, there is no substance here. Yes, they offer a, a, a harsh treatment of the body that, that makes it look like you're working really hard, but it doesn't lead you to any truth. And so ultimately, verse 22 tells us that this false teaching will perish. Because Paul wants us to set aside false teaching, to see the dangers of false teaching, but to do so in, in contrast with the power of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of what God has done for us, sets us free from the tyranny of measuring up according to our own strength. So you don't make yourself right with God. You are not reconciled to God because, you, because your calendar was marked up with a bunch of holidays. You can't make yourself right with God because, because well, you set aside these, these food groups. Now, how are you made right with God? Paul, Paul's already told the Colossians. And so look with me back at chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 21, Paul warns that, that we, every one of us, was an enemy of God, and yet God has reconciled us. God has made us right, not by what we have done, but by what he has done. Look, look at Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. Paul warns us, Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel." See, you are not made right with God by, by keeping religious festivals. You are not made right with God by, by beating your body into submission. You are not made right with God by, by keeping a, a, and setting aside certain foods. You are made right with God merely— the only thing that's required of you is faith, a throwing yourself, a trusting completely, on what God has already done for you. Because the work necessary to reconcile you was accomplished not by you, but by Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave his life, his physical body. In death, he paid the penalty for our sins. And so what Paul is saying is, is false teaching only, ever, only is ever dealing with, with some of the symptoms. It's only ever giving you an, a sense that, that maybe you're moving in the right direction, but it never actually deals with the root problem. Because the false teaching is only a shadow, it's not the substance. Look, look back at chapter 2, verse 17. These commands, these false teachings, are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul is saying you, you're chasing after, after a shadow with no substance, but, but what you really need is, is not merely an idea. It's not merely even a truth. It's a savior. What you need is Christ, the one who gave his life, the one who's been raised from the dead. Now imagine an engineering student trying to, to complete an assignment about some great structure in, in one, of, one of the world's great cities, but yet stands the entire time with, with his back to the building only looking at the, the outline of the shadow on the ground. We would think, yeah, okay, may- maybe the, the student would get something of the, the size and the scope of the building. But, but you would never learn to be an architect only by looking at shadows. You would actually have to get up close to the building. You'd have to, and, and you'd have to do more than even just look at the facade like a tourist might do. You'd have to explore its structures and its depth, its power and its strength. And, and so Paul is saying, stop staring at the shadow... And turn around. The Savior stands right there. The Savior Jesus is right here for us. So look at the reality view of the substance, and yet there's a danger of living in the shadows, of trusting in ourselves. Now, I think few of us are, are at genuine risk of falling into the false teachings of Colossians chapter 2. Culturally, there, there isn't the sense that, you know, I, I struggled all week with the, the angel statue that I had in my house of bowing down and worshiping. No, actually, the, the specifics of the, of the false teachings in Colossians might not be a danger to us today, but the, the heart of the matter still is. That my heart would turn and, and find substitutes for worship in the things God has made rather than in God himself. That my heart would trust in myself to keep a bunch of rules to make myself right, rather than trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus. See, we're at risk of putting our trust in ourselves, of trying to prove ourselves before God, but, but Jesus has already given us the gift of salvation. And so Paul is offering us something that's even greater, perhaps initially even more unbelievable than the false teaching that, that's been given. You're not being asked to keep a bunch of rules, you're, you're being asked to look at the Savior who has already done it, who's already accomplished salvation. You're being asked to connect yourself with Jesus the Savior, because the false teachers were told in verse 19 they've lost connection with the head. The the capital H there is to remind us that, that, that when we're talking in this way, it's an image that Paul uses that Jesus is the head of the body. He's the one with all authority. He is the our source and our hope. And so when we are connected with Christ, then then we God causes us, verse 19, to grow. Life is found in Christ. True spirituality is a radical transformation, a new life given to us by God. It's not merely that we add this belief to the other beliefs that we already have. It's it's that we actually turn from what we were chasing after and put our trust in Christ. That we turn from the shadow and find our hope in the substance of Jesus. We need a true change of heart and mind that leads, yes, to radically changed behavior, to true holiness. Because Paul is telling us, look at verse 20, that you died with Christ. And so the principles of this world, the claims of of false teachers, they they should have no no authority over you. And so so he asks, so then why, as though you still belonged to this world, do you submit to the, the false teachings of this world? He's saying, you died with Christ. If you've put your trust in Jesus, then his death counts as yours. His death paid the penalty for your sins. His death frees you from the tyranny of, of self-righteousness, of always trying to measure up. His death offers you hope. His death gives you life. Your hope is found in your connection to Christ, and so put your trust in Him. Uh, this morning when I was walking through the empty building, I stopped upstairs to, to make sure things were set for a memorial service that's happening later today. And, and as I got to the very back of the building, up on the second floor, I was looking out over the back parking lot, and it's covered in chalk. Because many of you, our, our families gathered yesterday, and, and the, little, the little ones all, all got out chalk, and they, they covered the back parking lot. And, there's, there's what, and I saw some of the pictures. I was at a, a meeting all day, a presbytery meeting, so I didn't get to come have as much fun as it looks like you all had. But there's this, there's this giant, I mean, it's got to be 50-foot-long hopscotch. And then there's this spot out there, and, and you, you can walk back or you can drive back, and, and one of the kids, or maybe, maybe one of the parents, drew a giant circle, and it says rest. Because after doing all of that work of 50 feet of hopscotch, you're going to be exhausted. I mean, what Paul is telling you is stop playing the silly games of the world and stop here in Christ. No, of course, I mean, that's the greatest hopscotch course I've ever seen. And so go out and give it a try after the service. But when you try and jump through the hoops of rules that are made up, telling you, don't do this, do this, believe this, don't don't trust this, then you can exhaust yourself. And yet in the beauty of the gospel, Paul is telling us, since you died to the basic principles of this world, since you died with Christ, put your trust in him. Catch your breath and stop running in fear. Jesus, the Savior, rescues you. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our hearts. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray for those that that listen today, tempted to trust in themselves, Lord, those who haven't put their trust in Christ, I pray that you would give them the faith to believe, the confidence to turn to you in gospel hope. Father, we, we come, those of us who have trusted in Christ, who have received forgiveness, asking you to set us free from the worries of this world, from, from trying to live up to false standards, and to find our hope in the death of our Savior. And so, Father, we come, Rejoicing in the gospel and praying in his name, amen.